What's up? My name is Dave Hopal. I am the community life pastor here. Now, what does that mean? Great question. Um, I help get people connected with service. Um, I've been here for about eight years, uh, and I love what I get to do. Uh, it is a blast. Actually, I moved out here with my wife about eight years ago because uh, my best friend was the Oasis pastor at the time, and uh, we needed a transition in our life. So I told him, I was like, hey, I will be your best volunteer. And so we moved out here to kind of help volunteer to be a part of the Oasis crew. So you guys have a deep place in my heart um, out here. So I love being able to come and to worship with you guys. Um, so a little bit about myself, whether you may or may not know. Um, I have, the last time that I spoke at Oasis was March of 2020. Was anybody here in March of 2020? You weren't actually in this room because we recorded it because uh, it was the first service during COVID. And so we posted it online. Um, And so that was the last time that I spoke at Oasis with me and my wife. We talked about marriage. It was awesome. I loved being able to do that. Um, But one of the ways that I'm able to help out with Oasis is I help out with our short-term mission strips. So last year, I was able to help kind of co-lead the the group to Detroit. So I was a part of the van uh, getting stolen. Um, We did find it before we left, which was awesome. And we have since donated it to the church there. Um, So Brennan and I were able to help uh, organize that. Uh, So that's one of the ways that I love helping to partner with the Oasis ministry. Um, you may recognize me. I wasn't going to say this, but I'm just going to. Um, if you have ever gone to a women's volleyball match, I was at majority of the home matches sidelined, so front row seats. I was a line judge. Um, I still am, so I was the guy who would call in and out. That was me. So if you recognize, like all night, you're like, I know him from somewhere. That might be where if you were at one of those home matches. Um, I, love, I, I love volleyball. It's something that I enjoy being able to do. Um, I, uh, a little bit more about me. So I have five awesome children. Uh, my oldest just turned seven last week. Do the math, okay? I heard some of you like seven. I have five children. The oldest is seven. So that means I have two five-year-olds, a three-year-old, and one-year-old. So that just equals chaos in our house majority of the time. So my amazing wife gave me the permission to say, hey, you can come and speak at Oasis. I'll put kids to bed. So thank you for allowing me to get out of bedtime tonight. I appreciate that. Um, I have an amazing wife. We've been married for 12 years now. Uh, we have gone through a lot together. Uh, we, have, we have learned a lot of different ways on how to love each other and ex- express love. Um, one of my um, love languages is acts of service. So I'm always trying to find ways to like, do things to show my wife that I love her. She's more of a quality time, so sometimes it's like really just spitting into the wind whenever I try to do things for her. She's like, no, just spend time with me. Um, but one of the ways that I, as I was recalling some of the adventures that we have been on, um, I love being able to prepare fun adventures for us. And one of the biggest adventures that we went on was, I would honestly say, our honeymoon. Um, I'm not going to get into all the details for you guys, uh, but it was a lot of fun to be able to plan for that trip. And so I, one of the ways I wanted to demonstrate my love to her was through the preparation process, through that planning process. 
And so we planned a trip to Portland, Oregon. We'd always wanted to go there. And I had every detail of this trip planned out. I had every hotel booked. I had our car booked, got the flights booked. I knew where like the fun restaurants would be at every destination. Um, Our wedding party actually donated money for us to get matching tattoos while we were in Portland. How cool of a wedding party is that? right? It was super cool. Um, and so it was awesome. So we, we flew in late, late at night, um, and then we drove down um, all the way to the south side of Oregon, south coastline where the Redwood Forest is. And we stayed, stayed in a treehouse uh, cabin for like two or three nights. And then we drove up the Oregon coastline, and it was super cool. I had a surprise for her. Her aunt knew somebody who owned a, pl- a jump plane on the coast of Oregon. So he hooked us up, and he flew us up and down the coastline. Like, how cool is that? What a fun surprise. And then from there, we stayed at the iconic k Beach, which was super expensive. My parents helped pay for that because I couldn't afford that. Um, so we stayed on Cannon Beach for a night, and then we stayed in Portland at an Airbnb, I think the VRBO of today. Uh, we stayed there for a couple nights, and we did all the fun things. We stayed at Powell Bookstore. Um, we got to go visit them. We went to Voodoo Donuts. Uh, we went to Little Italy, got some Italian food. And like, I just wanted to show her how much I loved her through that preparation process because that's part of my love language. And what I think is we've been journeying through Psalms 23, and I think what we're going to begin to see in this next part of Psalms 23 is God's great love for us in the preparation process. We'll see that in verse 5. We'll see his love for us in the preparation process of what he's doing and what he's preparing for us along the way, whether we can see it or not. And so the last few weeks, last week Brennan talked about how from the first, uh, first week to the second week, we could see this big transition happening, right? As David is writing Psalms stream, we, we see the transition from he, so he makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside still water. So David is talking about God, right, as a thing. He's talking about God. And then at the end of that, when he says, um, you are with me, your rod and your staff comfort me, Um, He's talking to God, right? He's not just talking about God anymore. So he's transitioning God from a he to a you. So we're seeing this transition for the last two verses as well. There's going to be a big transition that we'll see. The other transition that I want to focus on tonight is we say, the Lord is my shepherd, right? So David has been talking about the Lord as his shepherd, right? The, The thing we're going to see transitioning tonight is we're going to begin seeing the good shepherd transition into a shepherd king, Right? So there's some kingly language that's in these last two verses that I want to call out a little bit. Because we're going to look through each verse line by line, and we're going to see the shepherd perspective, but then we're going to see what David as the king, as, as he sees God as king, what he wants us to understand through these last two verses, which I'm super pumped because it's really going to transition how we understand the end of Psalms 23. So if you guys are ready, I'm going to, just, I'm going to read right, what we're going to dive into tonight. You guys ready for it? Okay, so hear me out. Psalms 23, we're going to go through verses 5 and 6. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as we begin breaking down some of these verses, I'm going to have one of the, the verses that I read just behind me because I'm going to dwell on this verse for just a little bit. So the first verse I want to talk about is, you prepare a table before me. Right? We talked about the intentionality of the preparation process as a way that God can demonstrate his love for us. 
And as David was writing this, I think he saw this in two different lights, right? Because because preparation means there's intentionality to it. There's careful, meticulous planning for whoever's preparing this table. He wanted us to be able to grasp. And I think as David is talking about the Lord is our shepherd, right? The shepherd is preparing the table. What does that even mean? So as the shepherd, last week we journeyed through the dark valleys, right? But where were we going? Brennan alluded to it real quick in his message. He said, we're leading you up to the tabletop, right? The mace, the mesa. This is that green pasture at the top of that dark valley, which is where he's preparing us to be able to go. But what I love as we think about this shepherd's perspective is right this, this, this mesa, this table where the shepherd is leading us to is this beautiful, green, luscious pasture that nobody else has made it, no flock has made it up to yet. But the preparation of what the shepherd does is that that just doesn't happen. Like a green pasture is not just like, doesn't just exist, right? It has been prepared for the flock, So what the shepherd would do before the flock was ready to leave, so early spring, he would make his way up to this tabletop, you know, to the top of this mountain to go check on it. He would clear out the water tables to make sure that his sheep had something to drink when they got there. He would try to get rid of all the dangerous dangerous weeds that existed because, as we talked about, sheep aren't very smart. Right, so they'll eat everything along their way. So if there's something that could harm them, they would probably try to eat it. Right, so the shepherd's going to try to take care of these dangerous weeds up at the tabletop. And what's also cool is as he makes his way back down, he's going to try to find the path that is going to be most beneficial for his sheep to come back up. So the shepherd is preparing the way for his sheep to make it to this table, right? to, the, to the mesa, to this green pasture where they're going. So there's deep intentionality for the shepherd in the preparation process to show his love for his flock. But then what I, what I think is so fascinating is as we begin to ship, shift our perspective from the shepherd, the good shepherd, right, to the king, the table means something a little different. Right? You prepared a table before me. Right? So this is a small illustration about what a table could look like. And what a king would do is he would prepare a table Right? Intentionally prepare a table when he has guests come over to his house. And usually, as we sit at the table with our guests, it was usually to be able to sign a covenantal agreement with somebody. Right? So that's what the table would be, had, would be prepared for. As he's bringing in a guest, they're probably going to sign an agreement, a covenantal agreement with somebody else. Right? So this was a deep language by saying, this is something that we promise to do together that is not going to be broken. So as the king is writing this, he understands the importance of this table that is being prepared before him. But what I think is even more fascinating, as we talk about this table that God has prepared for us, we can see some of the very important elements that he would have on it. Right? We see the cup. Right? As we can share the cup together, we see the bread. And what I think the king is alluding to, he's saying, look, I have prepared a table. I've prepared a meal for us to share together, right? So when Jesus sat with his disciples before he was betrayed, they sat and they shared a meal together. And he began to present the cup. This is my body, or this is my blood that was shed for you. Drink, do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the bread and he broke it. 
oh, and this is fresh homemade bread that my wife just made for me. It smells so good. And he broke it. He said, this is my body. Take and do this in remembrance of me. So we talk about preparation, even, even in the preparation of that sourdough loaf. That took my wife like two days to make. If you know anything about sourdough, it is like, not labor intensive, but it has to like rise and aerate and like all the things that she told me that I can't remember, right? It's an intense, it's an intense preparation process for a loaf of bread. And it's fresh and it smells good. You can come up and have a piece afterwards, right? But there's, there's deep intentionality in the preparation. And I think the king was preparing this table for us. Right? So as Jesus shared these words with his disciples, he knew that this was the table that was being prepared for him. And so we can see God's promise in the midst of this preparation process of this table. Right? As we look at the shepherd's perspective of the green pastures, we can see his provision. You know, God's going to take us to these green pastures. So sometimes we wonder why we're traveling through these dark valleys to get up there, because we can see God's provision at the tabletop. But then the last part of this verse really strikes me. The last part, it says, in the presence of my enemies. And all week I've been stuck on this. I've been asking why. In the presence of my enemies, why is this there? Right? It was easy for me just to, to focus on the table that's been prepared for me. But I think in light of the presence of my enemies... This brings a whole definition, a new meaning to the table that's been prepared for me. Have you ever been in the presence of your enemies before? Is it like comforting? Can you relax when you're like enemies? So like imagine, I loathe you and I sit here and I'm just in your presence. It's not very comforting, right? It's very like, you feel very vulnerable. You're like, hey, this dude wants to kill me. That's kind of cool. No, that's not comforting at all. You feel very at risk. You feel vulnerable. It's not easy to lay down or to rest. So why did David include this in the presence of my enemies? What was he trying to teach us in the midst of this? And I think he he does this on purpose because David understood persecution. So David was anointed king when he was very little. But there was already a king, Saul, who was anointed at the time. And through Saul's reign, he became very jealous of David. And he began to persecute and try to kill David. So David understood what it meant to be persecuted, to have the presence of his enemies lurking over his shoulders all the time. So often David would retreat to the woods and he would hide in caves. And there's two times in 1 Samuel where David had the opportunity to kill Saul. But he knew the promise that God had on his life. And it wasn't time for David to be king. So twice, he, he could have killed Saul. Could have killed Saul, but what he did is he you know, tore a piece of his robe off and he retreated. And at a far enough distance, he said, look, I could have killed you, but I didn't. Why are you persecuting me? Right? And then Saul would be like, I don't know why I'm doing this. And then, you know, yada, yada. But David understood what it meant to be persecuted. He understood what it meant to be in the presence of my enemies. He knew how hard that could be. So then why, why did David include this in here? Because when we sit down for a feast with our guests, we don't sit down for a feast in the middle of war. We sit down for a feast 
for jubilation, for celebration. So this table that's been prepared for us is a moment of celebration, right? Not a moment to be afraid. Because I think God is saying the battle is already won. You have nothing to fear anymore. No matter what darkness is trying to creep into your heart, into your mind, the battle has already been won. You don't need to fear anymore. So when we see this carefully planned table before us, even in the presence of my enemy, we can be reminded of God's protection. Because he wouldn't have created this table of celebration for us if it was a moment for us to be afraid of the lurking enemies. But God is saying, even your enemies have no power over you. So no matter what enemies are trying to creep into your mind, into your heart, no matter what doubt, no matter what sort of things keep creeping in, those insecurities that keep feeding into you, those have no power anymore because the table has already been prepared. And I think, I think if we see this as what Christ has done for us, the battle has already been won. You have nothing to be afraid about so that we can sit at the table even in the presence of our enemies. And as we go on in Psalms 23, we can see the simple, the next part it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now as we talk about the anointing of oil, as we look at it from a shepherd, a, sh- a good shepherd perspective, right? what, what a good shepherd would do, um, so sheep, we've kind of talked about sheep aren't very smart. Right? They don't have very good lines of defense. And so what would happen to a sheep when they're out in the field is flies would find home in their nostrils. And they would begin to lay eggs close to their brains. And the larvae would begin to hatch in their brains. And they would literally drive the sheep insane because these maggots would be in their brain and there's no way for them to protect themselves against it. And so what a sheep would do is they'd begin butting their heads against something to try to get the noise to stop. Have you ever had that before? Have you ever had that thought just lingering in your brain? We just can't get it out. You want to hit your head up against something until it stops. So what a good shepherd would do is he would notice the signs when these flies were around. And he would have oil that he could put on the sheep. It's called backlining where he would rub it on their horns and their forehead, and he would rub it on their back so the sheep, or the, so the flies wouldn't attack his flock. Because the good shepherd would anoint their head with oil to protect them. So you can see God's protection over his flock. But when we see this from a kingly perspective, we see the table that's been set before us, and as the king would have honored guests come sit at his table, he would anoint their head with oil to symbolize them as the honored guest at their table. You can also see the oil in different passages as a moment of healing and a moment, moment of blessing. And I think as we talk about this kingship, you need to recognize that you are God's honored guest at this table. It's not something that you deserve. It's not something that you earn but it's through the intentionality, through the love of the preparation process that God has invited you into this. He anoints your head with oil. And my cup overflows. 
the first thing that I thought about when my cup overflows is, like I said, I have five children and none of them are neat. (laughs) And I have a five-year-old who thinks that they can fill up their water at the refrigerator, right? I don't know how how many of you guys have the water faucets in your refrigerators. They're not always accurate and sometimes they're really hard to see when your cup is full. And so when they fill it up, they have no idea when it's full. And so the water just literally just pours out of those cups. Like, it's just flowing out of those cups. So when I, when I see something that says, my cup overflows, man, that is not a neat process. It's messy. It begins to saturate everything around it. So if you look at your life like a cup, what are you filling in your cup What are you putting in your cup? Are you filling it with doubt, with criticism, with insecurities? What are those things? Because when your cup gets filled, right, it's going to spill out to everything else around you. And whatever's in, it's going to come out. And that aroma is going to ooze and saturate the people and the lives and the places that you've been. But if you're filling your cup with love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Like those are going to be the things that pour out of your cup. So what are you filling up your cup with? When it, when it overflows, it's going to saturate the things that are around you. Because when we keep moving on in Psalms, it says, Surely your goodness and love your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Now, when I say a word like surely, I, it's easy for me to pass over that. But I think surely is a, a, an extremely definitive statement, right? Surely is like, it is guaranteed, it is going to happen. It is confident, it is unwavering, unwavering faith in something. I can believe with all of my heart that this is going to happen. And do you have that same confidence in your walk with Christ? Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. When I think of all the days of my life, I think the shepherd, um, the, his sheep, long to be in his presence all the days of their life. If it's a good shepherd, that's what those sheep are going to long to do, to be in his presence all the days of my life. Because we can see his goodness and his mercy following me. So then, as your cup fills, what's following you? What are you leaving in your trace? As you leave place to place, not so much worried about what people say about you, right? But what sort of effect do you have on those people? Do they feel cared for? Do they feel heard? Do they feel known? Or do they feel judged? Do they feel criticized? Right? Because everything that happens in here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come out. What's following you all the days of your life? And can we confidently stand on what Christ has done in the preparation process at his table? Can we stand confidently in that? That that is going to ooze out of my life? Because when we push into this next part, I think this is where God reveals his ultimate promise for us. At the end of Psalms 23, he says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, when we talk about dwelling, this is a moment to abide. It's to remain in. 
Where are those places that you're going to dwell? You just want to be in there. Whenever you have one of those moments, you're just like, I could stay here forever, right? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we look at this from the good shepherd's perspective, I think we can see this as um, the shepherd calling his flock their house, right? They're, They're traveling back down off the tabletop through the valleys back to the house for the winter Right, a place where they can stay and know that they're going to be taken care of. Right? So that the shepherd could consider their house, their family, their flock. But who's that flock that you're going to stay with for that community where you feel cared and taken care of? But then when we see this from this kingly perspective, the shepherd king, we see this in a very different perspective. I have a few questions of where is the house of the Lord and how do I get there? Right, and the first thing that I can think about is I, I look into John 14. Because I think, I think Jesus paints this beautiful depiction of what the house of God actually looks like. So I'm going to read out of John 14 to kind of paint a little bit of a picture of what the house of the Lord, what we should be able to anticipate it looking like. So John 14 starts off by saying this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If this were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Jesus says, I'm going to my father's house, and my father's house has many rooms, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. Right, he's talking to his disciples right before he gets taken away. And his disciples are already a little rattled by Jesus predicting his death. And the first thing that Jesus says is, is he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You have something far greater than this place on earth. I've prepared a place for you. And you know the way. And like all good disciples, they come back and, and Thomas asks the obvious question that I think we're all wondering. It's like, Jesus, I don't know the way. So Thomas, he, sa- he says, Lord, we don't know the way. Where are we going? Or we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus responds with the utmost amount of grace and love that he can. He says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you, will, from now on, you know him and you have seen him. So as we begin journeying through Psalms 23, we, we begin talking about God, and David begins talking to God, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, stop talking about me, but start talking to me. He wants us to know him, because he is the way and the truth and the life. So I'm not for sure how you walked in here today, whether being close to God or far removed, being curious about who he is and wanting to know more about him, or if there's an opportunity to be able to seek him as the good shepherd and our king of our life. Are we willing to give up control because we realize that the king has something far greater for us? We can trust in his provision, his protection, and his promises. Because I think as we look at the king, he gives us the ultimate purpose about understanding the rooms that he's prepared for us. 
And so then I love this in, in John 14. He closes out in this beautiful way as Jesus is trying to comfort his disciples. He says, peace I leave you with me and peace I give you. I do not give you as the world, gre- or as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. He repeats that again because he knows that they're really wrestling with what rooms do you have prepared for me? And then he says this, you have heard me say this, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you will be glad that I'm going to go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And at the end of verse, or chapter 14, he says, come now, let us leave. Because he's talking to his disciples, and the disciples know there's something far greater for them in relationship with Christ. Are we willing to take that step of obedience and to leave and to be with him? And so what I want to do now is I want to finish in Psalms 23. I want to just give us an overview of everything that we've journeyed through for the past three weeks. So I'm going to read out Psalms 23. I can have the, the worship teams come up and join me. And I'm going to read out of the ESV version because uh, it's one of my favorite versions to be able to journey through. And what I want to do is as I read it, I want you to hear it in context of everything that we've talked about over the last three weeks, right? So when we hear words, like he makes me lie down in green pastures, you'll think about what Brennan was teaching about. When he talks about he leads me through paths of righteousness or he leads me along the right paths, you'll be able to think about what does that actually mean for me? So I'm going to read and then the worship team can start. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me through paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever.